Abrahamic covenant. That's what we're looking at today. John Scott read in the series of essays called, what is it called? One second, what is it called? Uh, covenant Theology, Biblical, Theological, Historical Perspectives. My goodness, couldn't they have come up with an easier title? Uh, we've been looking at these grouping of essays and um, uh, or this grouping of essays, I should say. And um, and we are, we last week we covered um, the Noahic Covenant. And uh, I, I, I don't know if you saw this, Nick, but. So it lee irons liked it so this is big this is big i uh i'm excited i'm just very excited i'm like oh it just makes me not want to say another word because i might get i'm just scared i just don't like it i don't like knowing that lee irons is listening <laughs> it, may, it may uh you know and, and like many people are going to take this the wrong way and i don't want them to but i think nick and i have a similar sentiment here i mean you get good theologians out there in the in the world um i you know we we have our we, we are i'm a fanboy of michael horton and yeah you know and meredith klein of course but honestly the greatest theologian who walks the planet today is lee irons you know <laughs> Ooh, razor blade <laughs> precision laser beam i'm just saying like nick and i i mean we basically it's like you can imagine two guys that they get together and read poetry or something you know uh, and, and just bring each other to tears uh well we do that with leines's theology that's what we do that's how that's how <laughs> saying go check out uh upper register upper register yeah and and like have your life changed you know um because this guy is the dude and i'm so excited that he's doing all this stuff on the trinity and everything and man yeah. um it's so good it's like everything everything <clears throat> is sort of like nebulous until lee speaks you know and then it's kind of like a oh oh yeah ah, yeah that, that totally i get it so Klein's best living interpreter, Leon's. <laughs> Leon's, you know, so, 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 so good. Um, now, the thing is... Uh, so, Lee, you can I, send money to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like I, this is this is why I don't want to speak now, because I'm just scared, like, Leon's is listening. But but I'm just, I, I, what I was going to say is this, like, what a badge of honor, man. When he, when, he, when he says, hey, well done, guys, you did a good job, I'm like, oh! That's great. Arrived. I when we uh, when we interviewed him, uh, I was just like I was beside myself for for weeks. So you know, it's anyway. And I know that everyone else that listens to this would have a similar sentiment actually, because they know Leon's and he's like the gangster of gangsters. Anyway, okay, cool. Now uh, we are looking at the Abrahamic covenant. John Scott Red, who we feel the opposite about, really. Apologies, we don't know who you are, John Scott Red. Uh, believe you're at RTS, but my goodness, we didn't like Blew this. Um, yeah, we really didn't enjoy this. Okay, let's let's. Okay, before we turn it turn into um, uh, what what did we call the other day? Douchey jerks the other day. By, so, <laughs> 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 um, let's just state the positive. Um, what I did like about it was it just. As with any essay, you know, it just brings you to bring some, uh, read some fresh angles, and and I appreciate the detail. There were some elements of yep. detail here that were, you know, it, it was almost like it's like when you read in your own category or reading when read uh, in your own corner for for a long time, you sort of everyone traces out the same picture, you know, and you've got, you've got a well worn path, but it felt fresh. It felt yep. like elements like why are you even going there? What's what's this to do with this? And and I appreciated that. It's just stimulating. Yeah, and you know, very exegetically rooted. He was in the text. Yeah, he was mapping it out chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter, event by event. Yeah. So yep. you know he was he was working very closely with the text mm -hmm. and 
any differences have to be argued from the text. Exactly. And yeah. it's part of the exegetical section in the book. And amen, the, you know, it, it ticks that notch. Now, it might be that this guy's some titan. I didn't even know about it. You know, <laughs> and, and the, I just don't know who he is. And yeah. but at, at the end of the day, um, um, they are just I think the problems can be summarized in that he takes a profoundly different turn to Klein. He makes that clear in the essay itself. Yeah. Um, and you know to the degree that you would just agree with klein and disagree with those who disagree with klein blah blah blah, blah, blah um you know you're gonna have some frustrations reading through this essay um but let's get to look at some of those maybe yeah well, let me just maybe, say for, yeah yeah for, i was gonna say let me set it up because i mean i think i'm in unfamiliar territory here this is an okay. area that you probably know better than me okay. so let me say my little bit up front and then throw it into your court so and let, let me, me just let, excuse um nick's uh tin sounding voice there He's yeah just, sorry my microphone i uh, i left a cable because, uh, it's a, it's uh, a sad, long sad it's, story it's a I was long gonna story go to Wellington. No, no one even was, wants to hear <laughs> <laughs> okay moving on invited, all right but we Let's didn't not get worry. To, my emotions don't matter, Mike. I hear you. Let's carry we, on. What we should have, what we actually do need to say is that we didn't get to hang out this weekend because yeah, of, the flight got cancelled because of the weather. Yeah. And so, if you're wondering where the live episode is, well, <clears throat> thank Wellington weather for that. But anyway, the flight got cancelled last minute on Saturday when he was meant to be preaching yeah. at our church on Sunday. All right, proceed. All right, so um, maybe just the two things that stuck out for me that I really struggled with. So firstly, you know, anyone who's familiar with the new perspective on Paul, anyone who's familiar with the social gospel and transformationalism, mm. you'll know how they really dip into the Abrahamic covenant as the paradigm. Yeah. You know, there's the three promises of, uh, you know, the land, the people, and then there's the blessing to all nations. And I, and I guess maybe just as a as a two kingdoms guy and maybe just trying to understand how the New Testament interprets the old, you know, we, we, we understand that it is through Christ, through the, 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 the second Adam and through his accomplished work that the blessing comes to the nations. Mm -hmm. And yet I always find that things are cast in terms of the people of God bringing the blessing as opposed to the person of God bringing the blessing. So the seed collectively instead of the seed singular. So that instead of pointing forward to the Davidic king, to the Messiah, to the to the promised one who would lead the victory, it's all it's almost as if the burden's placed onto the shoulders of everything that Israel should have accomplished in the Old Testament but failed to do. And um, yeah, I just think it's missing Christ, and it's all about the church doing stuff and uh, Christ bringing in the kingdom, but it's all about the church bringing in the kingdom. Yeah. So that was my you know just my my two kingdoms radar. Uh, went so off he, he wasn't saying any of that, but you're saying he wasn't, but he was using the, all the right jargon. He was yeah, quoting yeah. all the right people. Yeah. He was going, you know, he was quoting from anti right at certain points, mm -hmm. and we know where anti right goes with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, it was elect, it was not Christ centered in terms of Christ bringing in the kingdom. Yeah. It was all on what, what Israel should have accomplished. But Israel only could have accomplished, accomplished it through the promised one that would lead Israel in that direction. And that whole the promised king, the, the, the whole promise of Genesis 3.15 is that the man born of a woman would, would undo the works of Satan, not the nation born of the woman would undo the works of Satan. Mm. So that, that Christ-centered aspect of bringing the kingdom to pass is missing. Um, and so, yeah, I just felt he set it up for a nice transformational push. Mm. So that was, that was my first problem. But the second one, and this is, let me set it up for you, and then I'm going to throw the ball to you. Mm. And maybe just a, a larger conversation of which this is a subset of. And um, 
the larger conversation goes something like this. How do we account for the legal aspect of the Mosaic covenant in relation to the covenant of grace? So I felt that that was, that was the larger discussion of which now you have the, the relationship between Genesis 17, the legal aspect where circumcision is introduced. What's the relationship of the legal aspect of Genesis 17 with all of its conditionality as it relates to the broader Abrahamic covenant as it's an administration of the covenant of grace. Mm. And, um, you know, I think there are probably a couple of ways that people have tried to harmonize those things. Um, there are Baptist views that would uh, talk about two covenants. You know, you have the covenant of Genesis 12 and then a second covenant of Gen Genesis 17 where the legal aspect is added. Mm -hmm. um, then you've got the John Murrayan approach which is mm -hmm. the approach that he seems to favor. Yep. Yeah, There's yeah. just a, a flat reading where Abraham and Moses are just very similar and uh, sort of missing out on Paul's contrast between Paul and Moses. And then, yeah. And so, and, and, I, and I guess why I feel not really ready to talk on this is I'm still learning. I'm still listening. I'm still putting all the views out there on a spectrum, trying to get a taxonomy and to see where I position myself. But I was definitely unhappy with what he said. So I want to throw the ball to you and maybe you could just unpack for us what Klein would do as he engages with that, that naughty issue. Mm, yeah. Now I'm just hearing myself echo a little bit. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe that's your chair when you move around. So anyways, we'll just keep it, keep a tab on that. <laughs> just do, do a little move, do a little preacher move. Let's see. No, weird. It does a little, um, every now and again. So, all right. Well, you, you know, just trying to touch base. Let me say this as well. Anyone listening? Um, this is not a fair critique of his, um, his essay. We're not trying to do that. So just, just uh, he uh, triggered us. We're just, we're just triggered now. Yeah. We're just triggered. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just one big trigger. And, um, and so if you, I mean, really, honestly, like I would hate to be uh, just, uh, and listen, uh, John Scott Red is not listening to us right now. But, but if he was, I would want him to know that I would feel frustrated if someone else was doing a podcast on my essay this way. But, you know, at the same time, it's all part of the larger conversation. So I am saying, go and, go and give due diligence to his essay, read the book, buy the book. And, uh, and then, you know, we're just part of that ruminating. Uh, is ruminating a word? Yeah. Ruminating. We're ruminating about uh, about all this stuff, and it, you know that's where we come in, right? And use it or lose it. Um, but uh, I think one of the things that that I think gets me—it's not exactly what Klein. I mean, Klein certainly implies most of this, but I think maybe this is my little um, advance on Klein in my own thinking. But when he talks about, he makes a big deal, and as as many biblical theologians do, uh, we we dealt with uh, Gentry and Vellum and. Um, and uh you know those sorts of figures uh, a while ago similar sort of thing where very detailed biblical theology but um and they tend to make a big deal of abraham being the new adam you know the new adam sort of figure receiving his mandate they connect the multiplication in in the garden to yeah, uh, you, know, the, you know and um and same thing with Noah and the idea even beale actually does this you know where he you know the whole idea is just <clears throat> to see this as one giant recapitulation of of adam's mandate and 
and Bill kind of has these things that make it a bit more confusing and, and maybe uh, universally <laughs> or applicable or nuanced or something. But I, I still think I disagree with Bill at certain points. But, but um, I, you know, the way he goes about this whole process is very similar to that. And, for example, he says, in the person of Abram, the Lord initiates a plan for humanity and the world that includes true blessing for an individual, his offspring, and the world. Um, so like everyone agrees, you know, that the Abrahamic promise leads to the gospel and leads to the blessing to all nations. And uh, the problem comes in, you know, so no one, no one in Reformed theology in any way is denying that that goes all the way to Christ and, and universal and has the global mission in view. The problem is when you connect what that's talking about there to the cultural mandate as a kind of recapitulation of the cultural yeah. mandate transformationalism then, coming through right because then what you're saying is okay so adam 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 found it adam lost it abraham got it and then you know it comes to full fruition in, in what jesus has now commissioned us to do which is essentially what adam was originally tasked with which is to you know uh, do this this cultural mandate um and so it's the way he sets it up moves in that direction um now i'm not going to try and detail that position as you say i think rightly that is very connected to the social social gospel slash transformationalist deal. Um, and there are many different things you could say about that. But, um, you know, let me focus on what I think is right and what I think is kind of helpful, maybe not helpful, and then what I think is wrong. Okay. So what is what is just helpful is, Bruce, as Bruce Walkie points out, and he, he quotes him, he argues that Abram is the culmination of the post-Diluvian recreation in primeval history. Uh, just as Noah is the culminating figure of the period that begins with the anti-Diluvian creation in primal, primeval history. That means we're just taking that early po portion of history and we're just saying, right, before the flood, after the flood, you got these big figures. Uh, Noah is, of course, as we spoke about, this big climactic figure. Same thing. No one's denying that that's the case with Abraham, right? All on the right track so far. He says Noah is the 10th from Adam. Abraham is the 10th from Noah both emerge as faithful representatives of the righteous seed of the woman. Still on track. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something typologically important about that. This is part of this great big genealogical deal that goes on in Genesis and the whole Bible and is related to the promise. We kind of touched on that last week. Getting on to something that's helpful and good. Uh, the story now takes a dramatic turn as the cosmic stability promised to Noah now becomes the theater in which God's redemptive purposes are to be worked out through the descendants of the elect Abraham and the land they will inhabit. Amen. That flows on beautifully with what we were saying last week with uh, the Noah covenant. Um, and then we get into something that kind of is problematic, right? The global scope of this blessing to Abraham, this promised blessing, soul nations, echoes the creation mandate to fill the earth quote genesis 128 and uh no less nine verse one the noahic covenant which we sort of slammed so it's yeah. kind of kind of interesting that they would put such contradictory essays together well you know? i mean they did and i did remember that introductory comment to say not everyone agrees but we're just going to throw it in anyway yeah and so they did they did chuck that in at the beginning so. Yeah, and that's important. So uh, it, it is helpful just to see these things woof, circulating. Yeah, but it, it you know it's a it's an you can almost imagine it's it's it really not the right it's not the right grouping of essays to read up front if you're just sort of processing this for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, it could leave you in a bit of a, a mess if you think it's all conjoining. So um, I think I think um, 
uh, that's worth stating. Now, one of the one of the big I was saying earlier, just that that advance that I would want to make on on, on what Klein implies and the basic idea on the Kleinian spin is that there is it's like you can go all the way with Beale and all that sort of thinking where you think about Abraham as a kind of new Adam figure and uh, the one through whom this multiplication blessing will come and so forth. Um, you just have to tweak it on the issue of redemption and you really have to mean business when you do that. So for example, and we've, I know we've spoken about this somewhere before, but where the whole thing with Abraham is 100% antithetical to Adam in that where Adam was blessed in order to bring about this dominion mandate, it, it sort of comes out of that benediction in Genesis one twenty eight. You, you have this, okay, this is what I've made you in the image of God. This is what you, I've been, you've been blessed in to, to, to do what I've called you to do. Now go forth and multiply and have dominion and so forth. Um, I mean, if you are in any way thinking that Abraham can do that, the problem is shown immediately as Abraham can't even have one single kid. You know, there's not, there's not even one single thing that he can do, right? So he can't even, and this yeah. is like the whole. It's not out of blessing multiplication. It's out of. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's true that it is recapitulating in a second Adam sense as one in the covenant of grace who relies on the, for, uh, on the last Adam as the, as the, uh, the, the, the successful representative. Like it's true that it's connected in that way, but, but like Abraham himself is someone that needs to he needs the promise to be fulfilled by grace alone right this is this is what is shown immediately he can't do this in fact paul uses this as a paradigm you know this is the body of death that we look at now we if you ever get discouraged as a christian then think of abraham because look he looked at his own body of death and god did it anyway is the idea and so so we believe the same thing we believe that you know despite our inability to perform one single shred of righteous anything um, God will do what he's promised and he'll do it through uh, the promised savior. So that's the idea. It's redemptive. And it does ultimately lead to the thing that, you know, uh, fulfills what Adam was going on with Adam, but it's just through Christ. Right. And it's through a redemptive angle and it's through his inability, not ability. And so, you know, as long as you're processing it that way, it's all good. So he says, for example, um, God's faithfulness um, is again showcased in Abraham's victory in battle. Um, the rescue of Lot and the blessing of Melchizedek, which, which is an interesting spin on what I've just been saying here, because you've got on one, on one, you, this is the complexity of Abraham. And this is what, what I think is what Klein brings to the table. That's so important. That's so helpful to process what Abraham is and what he does at one level. He's this needy sinner that himself is a recipient of the promise and a display of, of man's need for grace. At another level, he is starting to form a, typological um uh representation uh, of of what it is that needs to happen in order to fulfill that promise so there are these moments like when he defeats when he rescues uh lot and defeats um Ketalema, you know who's the who's who's making a go for the suzerainty of the land you know and so abraham goes and does almost like a david and goliath thing he he, he 
goes in there with what like like three eighteen uh, men or yeah. something and drives small like group. A, small group of men and drives like the entire Babylonian army, pre Babylonian army, back into the east and away from Canaan and and then he comes back and because the whole thing started because of the king of Sodom, he didn't want to pay his tithe to Kitalema. And so didn't want to accept him as the suzerain. And so when uh, when when Abraham comes back, he's like kicked butt and taking names, right? And then he comes back and he's like, well, uh, you know, looking straight at the face of the Sodom character guy, this uh, king of the Sodom, and saying, you're not the you're not the um, the suzerain. Uh, God's the suzerain. But how do I how do I show that? And along comes Melchizedek, this mysterious character, Melech Tzedek. Which means like king of righteousness yeah. uh, is from Salem, <laughs> Jerusalem. You know, he's like the king of he's... righteousness from Jerusalem. He's like David before David. You know, yeah. and and so the the the, the representative uh, of Canaan, the 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 true promised land, receives the tithe from Abraham, and and uh, in all of this, you have this like amazing. Like, whoa, what's going on with Abraham? He's he's representing that which is to come. He's starting to form this typological sort of entity that 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 works to to that is needed to fulfill the promise. Mm-hmm. Uh it's the Genesis 3.15, the the seed, the someone, something's being foreshadowed there. And in that sense, I have no problem in seeing him being the the culminative figure, the the one who is being um used to to uh to move the plan forward. But but you've got to almost you've what Klein does is you know, he sets it up. You've got to see these two levels emerge at this point. You've got it like with Noah, but still in place. Now you've got to see the individual Abraham and you've got to see the typological uh, Abraham that's foreshadowing the last Adam. And you've got to see that right throughout. And you've got to constantly in Abraham's life ask what's going on. You know, what what is being represented over here? Is this Abraham the needy sinner? Is this Abraham the 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 typological representative? So those are some initial thoughts there. Um, mm. Just uh, the reason I bring up the Melchizedek thing is because he brings it up as well. And and, the, and you know he doesn't really go into any of that stuff. He doesn't show how how in in his tithing to to Melchizedek, um, he's really you know he's it's not just that he's this triumphant Christian, you know, it's, he's decidedly not a triumphant Christian. He's, he's a foreshadowed Christ at that point, you know, yeah. or a foreshadowed David at least or whatever. Yeah. So anytime it talks about his righteousness or his obedience or his yeah. law keeping, it's referring to his typological status. Mm-hmm. And anytime it's talking about his faith, it's, it's, he's the, he's the protological sinner who's justified by faith. Yeah. That, that Paul draws on. Yeah. And so where Klein goes with all of this is the grant covenant, which is um you know so you got the a and e suzerainty um covenant the uh, suzerain vassal covenant where you know this is represented in um so you know where, where suzerain makes a treaty with a vassal to come under his protection and, and uh they, they enter into this mutual covenant arrangement and walk through the pieces and you know the blood gets um you know may the blood be upon my head may I be like these pieces if I don't fulfill this bargain and, and, and basically they, they come under the, the protection of the, of the great King and so forth. So you have a quite a ready model there to work from, which uh, applies in a few different circumstances, mosaic covenant, um, in a kind of, uh, what we'll talk about later with the Abrahamic, um, uh, covenant of, of chapter 15. But then there's this other thing, the grant covenant, which also was a, uh, something that the suzerain did for the vassal, uh, in reward of uh, commendable service or exemplary service. So upon amazing obedience or something like that, or bravery or something, something along those lines, um, the suzerain would grant this uh, promise 
Um, and so there, it really what you have is is is, is a that kind the of, land grant? Yeah, the the yeah, it could be. Yeah, totally. Um, <clears throat> you mean the way he references it? Well, what what I realized that he does because it it seems to me that he seems to be wanting to skirt everything that clients trying to set up. Yeah, and well, he what, tries to dismantle the significance of A and E covenantal structure. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll quote, he says, some scholars yeah. have pointed out that the format of the covenant in this passage reflects the land grant type. Yeah, so that was yeah. what you were thinking about. The land grant, grant type of um, promise, a promissory com uh, commitment of one party to another regarding a delineated tract of land. But again, readers should be careful not to over-apply such a similarity in an effort to conclude that this covenant is merely unconditional. Um, as will be seen, this covenant emphasizes unconditionality but like all biblical covenants, certain conditions are required of the <clears throat> receiving party. So he's talking about that in uh, relation to the uh, Genesis 15 covenant. Just so, you know, we're, we're yeah. sort of placing that right. And I think that's not, it's just a little bit, okay. So even before we go to critique of that, what I was going to say is this grand covenant thing is important because that's what Christ did in the Pactum Salutis, essentially. You know, this is, a, it's a kind of, um, Jesus, um, if you think about the difference between a works covenant and a grant covenant, the, the only difference is that in the works covenant, the works have yet to be performed so that the reward is given. And in the grant covenant, the works have already been performed so that the reward is given, right? So in some sense, it's like, you know, when you're talking about any sort of grant covenant arrangement, you're thinking about King David, where he, you know, he drives all the Canaanites away and then he... You know, you have the Davidic covenant where he asked to build the temple for the Lord. And the Lord says, no, in response to your commendable service, though, um, you know, I promise that all of these things are going to be in place. Same thing with Abraham after he, you know, uh, is willing to sacrifice Isaac. You have this grand covenant arrangement, which uh, very clearly foreshadows a, a work performed so as to receive. So they're different facets of, of this of this reality. So I, what I would say is that you have... Um, you know the the Abrahamic, uh, sorry, the Adamic covenant of works is being met almost by a grand covenant of uh, which is what Christ does, right? Um, he he fulfills it. He is the one who who is uh, who is who must receive the reward that he receives because he has done the works that are required. Um, it's a guaranteed thing. So they're very similar, but it's just that different emphasis is worth picking up on. Um, they're both from an ancient Near Eastern sort of uh, background, but those two ideas are being played on throughout there. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to just kind of cop onto that, but I think that's important just to get to get where that lands in the, in the story. So when you're looking at Abraham's covenant where in 15, where, um, you know, there he is, you got the pieces slain and, and, uh, you know, you would expect that the suzerain walks through the, the, the pieces and then Abraham follows and both make a covenant, so, sort of like what you have in, in um, the Mosaic covenant uh, later on, where they say the blood be upon our heads and so forth. Uh, here, what you have is, is, is the exact suzerain arrangement, except God takes on both parties, right? So it's not a, it's not a grant covenant. It's not that Abraham is like done the work and therefore guaranteed the, the, the blessing. That comes later in 22, in Genesis 22. At this point, you have a powerful thing about it is it's a covenant of works that God does, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's Unilaterally. 
yeah. yeah, he just he just does both parties there, you know, which we've I imagine is a well worn sort of idea for people listening to this because I mean that's a big that's a big point. That's why we insist the covenant with Abraham is really a gracious uh, covenant. Um, and um, you know, again, we have to just we have to be clear on why that is. It's because it's not, it wasn't a grant arrangement or anything like that. It was it was. It was God just doing all of the works that you would expect Abraham to do right there. And then that's what makes grace, grace, self-maledictory, self-maledictory. Yeah. And what, you know, so he is the one God, the oath stance, everything. I'm not going to go into all of that again. That's all Klein, but basically, basically it's just a really powerful, undeniable. This is why we disagree with 1689 federalism. Um, because that cannot be tampered with. That's a, that's a gracious arrangement. That is the definitive gracious arrangement. In, yeah, in that's the gospel way. right there. That is the Amen. gospel. I mean, you can't mess around with that. Um, so um, now what he does with that is, so he, he, as you say, he sort of calls into question the ancient Near Eastern thing and says, don't overplay it, don't whatever. But then he kind of like plays it. He doesn't really apply it properly anyway when he does it. And I don't know. So I found that free. Not, not very convincing. Um, but he says, hardly a new covenant, as some have suggested, the covenant in Genesis 17, which is where the pickle comes in. Because what do you yeah. do with what do you do with the works now? You know, what do you yeah. do with all of these things? Uh, Genesis 17 merely reiterates and amplifies a, pre a previous promise that God had made to Abraham since he's calling out of uh, uh, Ur. Abraham's offspring will be a multitude of nations, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, one of the things that that everyone has to wrestle with at this point is like what's going on in terms of the works like the circumcision yeah. thing how do you um, harmonize the legal aspect with the covenant of grace we've just said like you have the most profoundly gracious thing going on in, in 15 and then you come to 17 and now it's like you know what's happening yeah so what Klein does with that is and i think what he does to a degree is just go well look you know any covenant of grace arrangement is going to require works. It's going to, we're saying nothing different at that level to anything that we'd be saying that, that James is saying that, um, you know, we're saying in the new covenant, you, you, that if you're part of the covenant, you're going to produce works. There are legitimate requirements. Um, the, the elements though, that are breakable for lack of a better term, uh, breakable are, are, and this is maybe where we differ from Klein a little bit and from, from, from Kleinians, but this we do as Baptists is that, you know, where that happens, it's, you've got something typological going on. It's yeah. because it's because uh, even though the Abrahamic covenant was gracious, it was a, a gracious covenant typologically administered. So you have elements of typology there that required a break breakability. You know, it's not the breakability that Jeremiah, uh, that Jeremiah refers to in 31, 31, um where he says it won't be the new covenant won't be like the old covenant that's breakable um it's it's just it's not saying that the abrahamic covenant is in that league of of the mosaic covenant it's just saying that it's setting up the typological elements in its administration that makes way for the for the mosaic covenant so in that way i think we do differ a little bit with the from what i understand of the the more presbyterian Kleinian position where where they're going oh yeah you see this is where the covenant of grace can be broken. You know, uh, there's yeah. a breakability element at some level or another, various ways of explaining that external visibly by covenant children, etc., etc. Yeah. And, and with Klein denied the external internal thing. Um, yeah. 
but but I think there you've got the more well the promise the new covenant promise is not that it is unbreakable in the individual but more in terms of the greater covenant it's not going to come to an end as the mosaic did you know so so that they've got a few different ways of explaining it but anyways bottom line you know you've got to i don't necessarily want to go down that angle now it's more that i'm just wanting to say that um there are very very easy ways to process that whether you're presbyterian or baptist without having to deny that that it's a gracious arrangement in chapter 15. Um, yes. and and i find it not i don't find it very persuasive at all that because he has to do something. Therefore, you know, the, the arrangement in, in 15 has to be regarded as a covenant of works. That's just never struck a note with me at all. Yeah. I mean, when does that ever happen? You know, that's crazy. Like, have you like the new Testament for crying out loud, you know, we, I mean, I just, this, this week, I'm like reading through John, you know, and, um, I mean, it's, honestly, like every time I do this, I, I got to stop doing this. Actually, I got to go into it with more preparation because I'm just like randomly reading through John mostly because it's got, got all the easy Greek, you know, <laughs> so just, want some easy Greek. So you just sort of reading through it. And, and, um, and the way Jesus is like, listen, those who love me will do my commandments. And then he uses language. Like if you do what I tell you to do, then the father will love you <laughs> like stuff like that, you know, and I'm not quoting correctly now, but it's sort of that demeanor about it. You if you just, obey me, I'll come and reveal myself to you. <laughs> just very like whoa that just wouldn't fly for a sermon if you had to say it like that you know yeah. and and, and yeah, it's there you can't deny it there's something of that language there and then james brings it out and that sort of thing but the the point is just that there we go what more do you need i mean that's that's all that always happens in a covenant of grace that no one's ever denying that that element of it um but that doesn't mean you know there are other ways of processing that than saying that it's a covenant of works you know um all right, true faith will result in covenant keeping, as he put it. I agree with that in 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 that sense. Um, yeah. Covenant keeping is a dangerous slippery. I, one, I but... agree with it in, in principle, but I'm wary of how he's how it trying to used. get how he's trying to shape all the covenants around that administration. Yeah, like so he wants just... that to administer all the covenants in it. Wants yeah. to flatten it between Abraham and Moses. It just wants we to, don't exactly wants to see a continuity, not a contrast. He's not accounting for Galatians three. Yeah. So the covenant keeping term is a little bit like, uh, what do you mean? But just let's go with obedience. Just uh, true faith will result in obedience, yeah. just as true faith in Christ, uh, the condition for justification, is the sort of faith that results in verbal profession and enjoyment of the means of grace. Amen. You know, at that level, no problem. But now here's the problem. You ready for it? To be sure. The Mosaic Covenant, while in clear continuity with the Abrahamic Covenant, includes a heightened focus on faith worked out in covenant obedience. That's exactly what you were scared of, right? I mean, that's crazy. Like, that's full. Of, he's basically going, there's no antithesis between law and grace. It's just a continuum. It's just an intensified reality of the same thing. And that is where we disagree. And it's appropriate that the very next line he brings out there is Meredith Klein argues that this focus forms a works principle that operates in the typological sphere of yeah. uh, provisional earthly kingdom. Yay, Meredith Klein, we love we love that. Uh, you know, and he says no, 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 that, he doesn't go with it. He says the introduction of this multiple strata unique to the Mosaic covenant seems to depend on a reading of the Abrahamic covenant that ignores the clear conditional elements in that covenant in the covenant of grace. Now we never agreed to that. That's that's sort of around the way, you know. That's that's yeah. 
that's a sucker punch right there um, that ignores the clear conditional elements of the covenant elements that are present in the new covenant as well. <laughs> what the heck? Hebrews 12, 4 to 11. And this is where it gets ultra Presbyterian where it's like, okay, you've got, you're in the covenant of grace based on these conditions of obedience. And therefore, you know, you can get kicked out of the covenant of grace and get brought back in and that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's another yeah, very it's red zone yeah. for me. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think he quoted Murray as well at some point, mm. um, you know, favorably. And then he quoted John Frame, mm-hmm. which uh, who I... was who was quoting Murray favorably. <laughs> and then Frame quoted Voss, and I think he Frame quotes Voss wrongly because I think Voss the quote that he quotes actually supports Klein. But anyway, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. So I try I, mean... I try to follow the footnotes at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if one argues, he says, as Voss does, that the interest in obedience to the law is primarily a matter of appropriateness of expression of faith and not legal merit, then it follows that the same is true of the Abrahamic covenant requirements of blamelessness and covenant keeping. Now, the thing about like Voss was like, you know, I don't know, he wasn't as sharp as Klein was on this point, you know, I so saw on the on the antithesis yeah. angle, but but I'd certainly with frame. You know, I mean, my goodness, you're, you're dealing with a whole different. I mean, you're dealing with whatever this guy's saying latently. Frame brings out explicitly, you know, yes. and and so uh, he's he's all about that Mona Covenantal. Yeah, and Frame's just following Murray. And well, you know, because Murray had a strong law gospel antithesis, and and Murray, you know, had a reason to believe in justification the way we do. You know, even yes. I, I would say he was inconsistent in the way they could get there. But as I've read Murray, you've got. Uh, I think um, uh, Dr. Gian as well, um, who wrote a million books on uh, on this, well, four books on this issue, but a million, <laughs> it feels like a million because there's so many articles and that sort of thing. Um, he, re- in fact, he wrote his dissertation on Murray versus Klein. He really brings this out that he shows like, listen, Murray and Klein, you know, they do differ on, on every, on, on important ways, but, but on this issue of law and gospel and, and you know, especially when, when Shepard comes into the picture later on, you know, Murray's with Klein, you know, on, on the issue of law and gospel. Uh, he did not, he did not actually give any way there for Shepard yeah. to do what he did. He only gave the theoretical sort of basis. But I think that, that, um, that what, what Frame does in, um, in just kind of, I suppose what you could say Frame does is he, he takes, he does almost like what Shepard does with Murray. Maybe you could put it that way. You know, he quotes Murray in the same way that Shepard does. Um, but I just always feel the need to go, all right, I, they don't do it. They, they, they weren't really following their teacher. If that is the case, you know? Yeah. Well, um, uh, just, I mean, I followed the footnotes and so footnote 21, 22, 23 at this point. So he directs you to Murray, uh, to frame yeah. doctrine of the Christian life. I've got all four vol- volumes, page yeah. 206, 207. So I dip in there Okay. and frame is interpreting Murray. And then okay. he tries to quote Klein, uh, Voss in support of his interpretation of Murray. Yeah. And so is it- Everything that we see going on in this uh, article is basically Frame's interpretation of Murray yeah, good. being reflected, and then yeah. a, I believe a wrong use of, of Voss at that point. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Because Voss goes typological, and instead of actually saying this shapes administration of the covenant, Voss is actually no, this is much more typological. A- absolutely. Yeah. And that, absolutely. <clears throat> but but what I was thinking is. You know, yeah. So I, I agree, one hundred percent. Except Vice is a yeah. little, a little bit fuzzy on some important points there, and um, 
you'll be disappointed if you go in from client to boss thinking he brings the same clarity on these issues. Okay. He kind of leaves it hanging. But the, on the typology stuff, amen. You know, Voss and Klein are 100% um, moving along the same lines there. So, so he goes, um, you know, he says the reader should recognize the different emphases of both Abraham and Moses while acknowledging that both put the priority on divine grace and instrumentality, uh, instrumentality of human faithfulness. All right. So that's 100%, 100% where we disagree, you know, saying that the Mosaic covenant and, um, basically all covenants are just different emphases on it's basically covenantal nomism that uh, language perfectly serves covenantal nomism i agree 100 so i'm now he probably doesn't intend covenantal nomism but the way that he set it up is it's very hard to resist that conclusion i know and at best it's like a kind of covenant inconsistent theology. yeah yeah it's kind of one of the the more maybe i don't know just a kind of covenant theology out there that is it's just hey you know this is what it is it's just all unified and blah 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 yeah. which doesn't mean anything by it but at worst it's, it's giving grounds for like a real yeah. real problem yeah and the instrumentality yeah. language is usually you know it's all about the use of means and the the responsibilities of sanctification yeah yeah but yep. if it's if it's if it's maintaining the integrity of the covenant which if you're not circumcised you'll be kicked out of mm. to bring that sort of language of death and cutting off and then putting it alongside the instrumentality of human faithfulness, it sounds like be faithful or else, be faithful or die, which means yeah. the covenant can be broken by your lack of obedience. Boom, covenant of grace is gone. Amen. Yeah. Now, one of the questions we would ask is, okay, well, what about Paul and Galatians and the whole law gospel antithesis? And my yeah. goodness, you know, and he does go there. But what he says is the apostle Paul contains that Jesus Christ, in actuality, the singular offspring to whom the covenant with Abraham points. Um, actually, wait, sorry, further down one second. Uh, let me find it. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, for Paul, this distinction creates a false dichotomy between Moses and Abraham that is untenable. See what he's doing there. Um, neither the Mosaic law nor the Abrahamic circumcision can give life, but rather both were expressions of faithfulness in the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. As of... <laughs> it's like, he's just like exactly the opposite of what Paul's that done there. Them. Exactly. I mean, he sees goodness. continuity, Paul sees contrast. He's reading it against Paul. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah, it's I crazy. It, it, I, yeah, just, <clears throat> I marvel at that. You know, it's like of all the things Paul could possibly be saying, how do you get to that? Don't know, but let's pick it up. Let's pick it up and make it more positive towards the end, right? <laughs> in Christ, the promise to Abraham that his offspring would bless the world is also fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the righteous seed through whom the nations are brought into the divine program of redemption through saving faith. In Christ, the nations are being gathered into the inheritance of Abraham, a work that is being accomplished even now through the Great Commission. Amen. And the apostles are empowered by the great solution to Babel at Pentecost. See, see like, he gets that right. That's 100% correct. Yeah. Even the way he's contrasting Abraham to Babel, it's like when, when Abraham tries to do it, when he tries to do the, 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 the you know have offspring <laughs> on his own terms you have like you ishmael and you know it, you know that sort of thing and so 
you have something akin to Babel at that point. You know, it's like almost like when Ab when Abraham does that stuff, it's more like Babel than it is about like the covenant of grace. It's like the failed covenant of works rather than a, a covenant of grace. Uh, and 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 he gets it like when you and when you put Babel against even Babel itself is like a failed mandate, cultural mandate. They're trying to do what Adam failed to do. That's the whole point of Babel. Yeah, they are trying to achieve this thing that can never be achieved. But then he sets it up and says like, well, you know, Abraham should be doing it again. But then now at the end, it's the, I don't know, the whole thing falls apart at this point for me. Yeah. So I agree with his conclusion. I just really don't agree with the way he got there, I suppose. Be thankful for the conclusion, but I don't know. Can't, can't process it properly. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone's listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, you have to ask yourself a question. What are you doing with your time? <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, you have to ask yourself, what am I going to do to make this clear? Because none of what was said here today was, was helpful. No, I'm joking. But, um, you know, what I'm saying is like, I, I suppose what we're trying to model here is read, read the stuff and grab the good you know, in reformed theology, yeah. but, but just, man, you got to, I think careful. we're also trying to stress that if you get the, if you get the covenant of Abraham wrong, it can go drastically wrong. If you're trying to set it up in, uh, without reading it through the lens of Paul in terms of contrast, and you're trying to push a continuity angle and you're not trying to account for the legal aspect in some typological way, you're going to be, you're going to be assaulting grace and you know establishing salvation by works by covenant faithfulness um that's bad amen amen okay that's it i mean other than to say lee irons is awesome again <laughs> i think we're done if he approved <laughs> would it be wrong for him to promote this one <laughs> it, it, it's like uh, lee I hope you're listening. And if you're listening, I get that you're vexed right now. Like you yeah. can't, you can't. We've thrown this. you into a conundrum because <laughs> everything we've said has been so good. And yet we promoted you. So do you promote the truth or do you promote yourself? It's, it's, it's hard. I know it's hard. Not everyone has to face that problem regularly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, uh, this is a good problem to have. No, but we appreciate that brother. And we appreciate uh, all that clanging goodness he brings uh, through for us. So, Anyway, thank you, brother. I am um, bummed that we haven't been able to do this one yeah. live. Yeah. But you know what? Providence, hey? It's all good. You want to say something? Close us off? Maybe? Goodbye. <laughs>